so we'll suffer with a video, and it'll be great. So if you can throw this video up real quick of Herod's temple back in the day of Jesus in context of where we're going today, I just wanted you guys to be able just to, to ponder through this and see where we're going to be hanging out. Because I don't know, I think sometimes we feel like that, um, you know, the temple and all that, you know, it was all very um, um, old and historical and it's just not very, you know, lovely. And we read the Bible and it's like, oh yeah, there was gold. I'm sure it was beautiful. But this was a massive, massive structure. It was unbelievable um, what they had done. This is Herod's temple. Herod had rebuilt the temple. And then he, uh, well, no, he didn't rebuild the temple, but he renovated the temple and decided that he would double the size of the temple mount. And we'll see a picture of that in just a second to about 35 acres. Um, but when you look at this and you say, okay, this is unbelievable um, that a, they would build something like that without machinery. Um, in fact, the whole, the whole, the walls of the Temple Mount, there's no mortar. All the walls are held together by their own weight. And, uh, and they believe that one of the largest stones in antiquity was used in there. It's 570 tons um, in the wall of this Temple Mount that you see. So here, to give you a perspective... American football field, and then the temple area, which was inside the courtyard. And if you see the next picture, um, then so this area is estimated to have been about the size of 29 football fields. Okay, 144,000 square meters, 1.5 million square feet. I mean, that's a lot. And the walls that we see there on the sides, 30 meters tall. And to give you some perspective on that, especially if you're an Aggie, um, there's Kyle Field inside of 144,000 square meters, 1.5 million square feet. Kyle Field is 34 meters tall. And so it would barely stick up above the walls, I guess, you know, if it was sitting up there. Um, but anyway, that's mind-boggling, right? I mean, and then here's another one just for fun. We are there, <coughs> and there's, you know, High Five and La Quinta and down to Torchy's Tacos. Um, that's also 144,000 square meters. Thank you. Tim West for uh, hooking me up with all that, but that just that just gives you some perspective of what it is that Jesus walked into on Monday of Holy Week because that's where we are. We're going through each day of Holy Week, and so I got Monday, and Monday's pretty awesome. And so when you just ponder that that central area there. That's close to three football fields, you know? And I think we just think that, oh, you know, back in the day, the temple, that was a cute little place, you know? Um, but this was a massive place. And the area outside is called the Court of the Gentiles. And around the temple area in the middle, there was a wall, and no Gentile was allowed beyond that wall. 
So, you know, the closest they could get to the temple, to the holiness of God, to the presence of God, was to that wall. So they could get in the court and say, okay, well, we're pretty close, and they would come. Um, so just quickly, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So I wanted to show you those pictures, A, just to give you some perspective, and B, just to encourage you to say, okay, wait a minute. Um, as glorious and majestic as that temple is in that whole area, um, the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, but he dwells within us, ladies and gentlemen. And that, that's enough to get you going. So, so here we are on day, on day Monday. So Jesus, you know, last week he rode in on his little gray donkey, clip, clop, clip, clop, all the way to, um, anyway, y'all maybe never sang that song when you were little. Um, we sang it with ours. Anyway, I'm not going to sing it for you. Um, <coughs> but Jesus rode in on a donkey. People were saying, Hosanna expecting a king on a stallion, but he came in on a humble on a humble donkey. And if you look at Mark's account, Mark says that he came in and uh, he rode in, and then he, you know, it was evening, and he cruised up through the temple, looked around, and then went out to Bethany and lodged and came back the next day. And it's back the next day that I think is really important. So we're going to um, take a look at some lessons from the temple cleanse. Some of you probably do juice cleanse. I'm saying I think sometimes we need a temple cleanse. And, uh, and if we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that God will speak to you today to show you what are the barriers that are keeping others from worship. So, <clears throat> number one, self-centered religion will always turn God's temple into a stockyard or shortcuts. Okay? And this is what had happened. The, uh, that incredibly beautiful temple area had basically become, you know, like a FFA, you know, Future Farmers of America, because you had people in there, you know, setting up, I mean, they had sheep and pigeons and cattle, all inside that amazing, beautiful place that they are selling to the pilgrims as they come to worship because it was, you know, hey, kind of inconvenient to sacrifice. So why be inconvenienced when for a few extra dollars, hey, come to the temple and we'll sell you some pigeons, sheep, and whatever else you need. So they turn this amazing, and so I stop and I think about all of that was in there, and I go, okay, as beautiful as that, you know, digital rendering was, then you stop and you go, it had to stink. I mean, if you just stop and think about that for a second, that what they had done to the temple courts, the temple of the Lord, the area where God dwelled, was turned it into a refuse pile. Um, and it was also, it was a shortcut. 
um, people, you know, be like, if you're coming from here to there, dude, don't go around the temple, just cut through. You know, so so the place where God dwelled became a shortcut. It's just a cut through. Just hop on through. You know, it's easy. Piece of cake. Hey, all right, no problem. Hey, what's going on, worshipers? I'm just passing through, carrying my load or whatever it is I'm doing. You know, got your, you know, got your bags. You're on your way to Grandma's house. You know, passing on through. Um, it's a terrible, terrible thing, and uh, and I think that I don't know if you guys have experienced this. Surely you have. You know like at your home or, or elsewhere or here or anywhere, you know, when stuff that's always there is always there, even if it's dirty, sometimes we just get used to it and we don't even notice it anymore. And then somebody else comes in and goes, Ooh. you know, and, and what's so remarkable to me is that the people, the worshipers, the people of God were completely comfortable in a temple filled with poo. I mean, if you stop and think about that, I mean, that is just horrible. And, uh, and I don't know what is in your temple, but sometimes we're really comfortable with stuff in our life that ought not be there. But it's been there for so long that we just, we ignore it. We just walk right past it. You know, it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. Sin... <clears throat> I have a great word today, pernicious, okay? Isn't that a great word? Nobody uses that word, but I think it's really cool. Um, pernicious, here's what it means. Having a harmful effect, especially in a gradual, subtle way. Huh? Okay, so now, sin is so pernicious that it will always find ways of gradually turning the most glorious into the most hideous. Can you imagine the temple of God turned into a stockyard? I can. All the buying and selling that was happening in there was happening in the court of the Gentiles. Okay? That's super important because we're Gentiles. FYI, we're the people that at the time, they were so busy trying to get themselves, you know, cheap sacrifices, which isn't that an interesting thing? Cheap sacrifice, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? You know, uh, it's not really a sacrifice if it doesn't really cost you. But, you know, the people, they were like, hey, you know, rather than have to, you know, carry Fluffy for 20 miles to the temple, you know, we can just hop on, hop on the old steed and ride on in, throw a few extra coin down and get a new Fluffy and, uh, and sacrifice and everything would be great. You know, um, but I'm thinking, you know, convenience and sacrifice, kind of opposites, right? Um, but yet, <laughs> we kind of like convenience. The spirit of sacrifice was lost in this market that was set up in the court of the Gentiles. It's the only place for them to go and worship. And yet, in their religious ways... They cut out the people that God cared about, the nations. They cut out the nations, people. They cut out the nations so that they could have a convenient worship experience, comfortable with temperature set at 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm, how's it feel? Feel good? All right. Super duper. Um, but there would be nothing convenient in Christ's sacrifice four days later. 
And everything about this, when, I'm, when you're reading all of that that's gone on in this week, Jesus knew. He had set his face to Jerusalem. He knew exactly where he was going. And so here he is on Monday knowing that he would be a Passover lamb on Friday, right? And so as he walks into that temple that Sunday night, looks around and says, oh, goes, spends the night in prayer, hopefully, which is probably a good plan for all of us. Anytime you get angry about something, probably should go spend a night in prayer before you go and put the hammer down on somebody. Because I think Jesus probably did that. Um, anyway, so here he goes um, into this, this place where the nations were shut out because of convenience. So, number two, Jesus, the righteous Savior, is powerful. And this is where it starts getting really fascinating to me. I get, I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I get just really geeked out in my thoughts and thinking about stuff and going in and saying, what in the world is going on here? Uh, this is really amazing. So here's Jesus. He goes to the Temple of Herod. He takes a look around. He enters Jerusalem and goes out, takes a nap, spends time in prayer, and then he comes back, and we get to Matthew 21, 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. All who sold and bought, mind you. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just the sellers, but it was the buyers. Those who said, oh, this would be so much simpler if we just pay some extra. Hmm. He drove them out. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So our culture, you know, we're so shaped by media um, that I think, you know, if you've ever watched a Jesus movie, you know, there's always a scene of this, you know, and it's like 10 seconds, right? And so here's Jesus, you know, he flips a couple of tables, and it's like, and the, the people are like, oh, don't mess with him, ooh. you know, but... but we're talking about an area here. They were servicing thousands of people. It's estimated that there was 100,000 people in Jerusalem during the week of Passover. All right? So this was a big, big, big venture. You know, this was a mega flea market. This was, you know, like the stockyards out there at Texas, whatever, stockyard place that is, you know. I mean, so there's, there is, yeah, that place. Um, so here's Jesus who comes in, and they've got pens set up, and I imagine that that Sunday night, the pens were all there. People had left their tables. I mean, why pack them out? You know, they weren't plastic white tables. You know, how are you going to pack them out? Man, they had themselves set up. They had their set up. They were ready to go. Next day, they bring in all their stuff. Say, okay, bring in all the cattle. Bring in all the sheep. Bring in all the pigeons. Here they are carrying all their, their baskets of pigeons. Bringing in the, the scales. Bringing in all their extra temple money because, see, they were going to change the money because if you came from somewhere and you had Roman coin, well, you can't give that to the temple. No, no, no. You got to change that coin. You got to make the exchange. And so, of course, there was a cost in that because, you know, everything worth something costs something. Um, so here they are. But our culture, you know, we're so so shaped that we get this. We think it's just this quick little thing. And and I'm telling you, I think that this 
was an all-morning affair. I think that Jesus went in and he's overturning temples. He's throwing out their chairs. He's throwing all their stuff out. And it says that he drove them out. He drove them out. One man in this 29-acre complex where they had set up commerce to really make the bank. All these people are in there making their money and they're doing their religious thing. And one man comes in and drives them all out. Who walked into the temple that day? I mean, that's what you got to stop and ask yourself. I mean, who was it? I mean, this was the carpenter's son from Nazareth. So let's stop there. He was not a physically weak man. I mean, you don't work with wood without power tools for 17 years to be kind of pasty. Right? I mean, that's kind of, I mean, we, you know, if you see the pictures of Jesus, the pictures of Jesus that we're all looking at, and he's all very, oh, you know, I just think, man, he just looks like he just came from a manicure. And, uh, and Jesus, Jesus, that's not in the notes. Um, but Jesus, here he is with thousands of people. Um, turning over these, t- these temples, their, their tables, flipping their tables and driving their stuff out. It reminds me of this guy when I was in college. I worked at a feed store. That was fascinating. And so sometimes I'd be out on the dock loading, loading trucks with feed. Other times I'm selling, uh, you know, in the store. And we had a guy there who was a career feed store loader. Okay, and uh, and these this guy was a beast of a man, and each feed bag weighed fifty pounds. I saw him. I watched him one time walking with two of them on each shoulder. I was just like, and he's just walking along, doop 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 doop. You know, it's just four bags. I'll just I'll just deliver that myself, and out he goes. And one day, one day he was just out in the back messing around with the. Uh, um, forklift driver. I mean, we had a forklift, you know, that could lift those pallets and he walks up to the forklift and he grabs the cage and he's shaking the forklift. He's rocking this forklift. And I was just like, Oh my soul, that man is a beast. I mean, he, he was a beast. And another guy that worked there who was also a career loader came up to me behind, came up behind me one time and just grabbed my ribs and just squeezed a little bit, and I thought he could crush me. Right now, it could be the end of my life. You know, he could break every rib with each finger, one, one rib per finger. And it was, I was like, what up, buddy? Love you a lot. Um, but I think when Jesus walked into the temple, there was something more happening than just being a burly, beasty man. Because I think... I just, I just feel like that there was supernatural business happening. I think Jesus was beyond just physical here. I mean, there was some supernatural God moments, and I, and I have precedent, I have precedence for this. Okay, because sometimes I'll, I think, okay, you know, is there, you know, Charlie, you're just making stuff up, and I'm thinking, yeah, maybe not. So check this out. 
Because Jesus showed up as a powerful God, right? I think what I call it, you know, some people call it beast mode. I call it he went into the I am mode. Okay? Come on. I am that I am, right? When, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? You just tell him, I am sent you. And he's like, okay, <laughs> that'll work. So here's Jesus in his early ministry. Okay, he walks into a synagogue, you remember this, and he, he grabs a scroll and he reads it from Isaiah, and then he says, you know, and he reads this whole, you know, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, sat down, all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he said a few other things that were kind of inflammatory <laughs> to the people that kind of made them a little, wait a minute, what are you saying, mister? And, uh, and they got really upset. And because uh, he basically said, you know, God loves Gentiles. <laughs> That's basically what he said. You know, God loves Gentiles just as much as you. You know, and they were like, what? And they got really angry. And it says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. So they could throw him down the cliff, ostensibly then to stone him. But passing through their midst, he went away. I mean, ponder that for just a half a second. A whole crowd has just driven him all the way to the edge. And he was like, okay, this was fun. And he turned around and walked through them. That's all it says he did. He just turned around and walked through them. And I'm thinking, God just had a little I am moment. Said, no, sorry, guys. You don't take my life. I lay it down. Mm. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him. Now, who's the they? A Roman, I mean, not the temple guards. So here's all these temple guards. They come because they know, okay, you know, hey, we've heard things. This guy kind of goes beast mode. And so, I mean, if they weren't afraid of him, why did they bring a whole crew? with all their clubs and swords and uh, torches, pitchforks, whatever. Um, but here he goes. He said, uh, who do you seek? And they said, well, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. In the Greek, the he's not there. He just said, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. And they said, okay, guys, you can take me, right? I mean, that's what was going on. So this is the Jesus that walked into the temple four days before his crucifixion. The same one that Marco referenced last week from Colossians. I, I love Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and visible were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
You ponder that for just a second. Why doesn't the world fly apart? Because Jesus holds it together. And as he's there with his face set to a cross and ultimately hanging on the cross, he was holding the world together. So as he walked into that temple and said, hey, what in the world are you doing keeping the nations from me? He was holding that temple together. As he watched those people selling their overpriced lambs, he knew that he would pay the ultimate price to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I think it's amazing. So, number three, only the perfect Lamb can turn our hearts back to worship, prayer, and the nations. I mean, just stop and try to imagine all these people that are scurrying about. As Jesus is turning it all over, you got people going, but, but I need a lamb. I need a lamb. And they're scurrying about. Maybe they're snagging one like, hey, that one's free. <laughs> you know, and they grab one and off they go. I don't know. I mean, I just got to imagine in the chaos, people are like, hey, there's a good lamb right there. I'll take that home and that'll be my Passover lamb. Because on Monday was the day that you picked your lamb for the Passover meal. So there they were, like, we've got to get home with the lamb. And so they got their lamb, and uh, Jesus is overturning those tables and driving out those who would keep people from true worship. <sighs> Only the perfect lamb could turn your hearts back to worship prayer in the nations. So in verse 13 of Matthew 21, he says to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, in that big, giant place, you know, I wonder, did he yell that a lot? You know, did he yell that each time he flipped a table? Each time he turned over somebody's stool? You've made this a den of robbers. This is to be a house of prayer. In Mark, Mark adds a house of prayer for all the nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. Mm. God has always had his eye on the nations, which is a good thing because that means he's always had his eye on you because we're part of the nations. Woo! In the court of the Gentiles, as far as any non-Jew could go. But Jesus started his week at the closest place that we Gentiles could come, the closest we could get to the Holy of Holies. He started his week there, and then he was going to end it by giving us access to the Holy of Holies. Mm. All the religious folks at the temple, they weren't bothered that the nations had no place. All they cared about was their convenient sacrifice, right? How about that? Verse 14 says, And the blind and the, the, blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to him, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? So there's a couple of things here real quick that we just want to look at. First of all, all of a sudden, um, they were blind and lame in Side the temple courts that was not allowed was not allowed the blind and the lame 
were thought to have some sin upon them that made them that way. They weren't allowed inside. But in all of this chaos, somehow they thought, this is our, this is our opportunity. This is our chance. And in they went, and they came to him, and he healed them. Hmm, how about that? Um, yeah, Jesus' actions were just, they were, he just flipped everything on its head right there. You know, these people thought, oh, certain kinds of people, <laughs> only these special people can come into the temple, <laughs> you know. And uh, you could just see all these religious folks just like, Ugh, Jesus, do you know what you're touching? You know, I mean, who was it? It was Jesus that touched lepers. Nobody touched lepers, right? It was Jesus who freed the prostitutes. Nobody freed prostitutes. It was Jesus that gave access to all of us blind, lame people to the temple. What about the children? To receive worship, okay, just for FYI, to receive worship was to basically accept that you were God, right? I mean, you know, because Jesus, of all people, knew there's no other gods. You shall have no other gods before me. So for him to sit back and allow these children to worship him was blasphemous to those religious people that were standing around wondering, how am I going to get me a cheap sacrifice? And the children, he said, they're like, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, have you never heard out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. And this is a really cool thing. The prepared word, I don't usually get into, uh, and the Greek says, <laughs> this Greek word is la, 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 all you people that have never seen a Greek word in your life. Okay, whatever. Um, sorry. The Greek word used for prepare is the same that was used in the Greek version of the Old Testament in Psalms 8.3, when it says, out of the out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. You have prepared praise, is what it says. So it says, so the Greek word there for prepared is the same word used earlier. The only other time it's is used is it means to mend the nets. Isn't that fascinating? That out of the mouth of children, you are mending the nets for praise. So here they were in this giant, amazing testament to Herod's greatness and his architectural wonder. And the children were the ones with faith like a child who were mending the nets of worship that was supposed to be happening in that space. Isn't that just blow your mind? Amazing. You know, ripped nets of worship. That's another oxymoron, you know. It's like, you know, sometimes um, I think there's a couple of things. He says, do you hear what they're saying? And then Jesus said, out of the mouth of infants, you know, guys, um, just want to say, um, praise does involve your mouth and your speech. And if you don't find yourself speaking the praise of God often, you might want to just take a little check, check into your heart 
because he said, out of the mouth of these folks, you've prepared praise. If praise is not on your lips, um, you might have a torn net. Could have a torn net. Um, the children acknowledge his divinity, and the religious were offended. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection purchased worshipers. His sacrifice of blood would enable you and me to worship God in spirit and truth. Your salvation is not primarily about keeping you out of hell or giving you a ticket to heaven. The salvation purchased for you by the zeal of the Lord Jesus in beast mode was primarily aimed at enabling you to glorify God and worship now and in eternity. Whew, I can just only imagine that Jesus was looking toward the cross with every table that he turned, every table. And then I think he knew that uh, on Monday as he cleaned the courts of the Gentiles, he knew that on Friday he was going to open access to the Holy of Holies for all of us, which brings me to Matthew twenty-seven fifty. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. We don't hear that too much, do we? We need a sermon on that one. Woo! And they, it says they went into town and were telling people. Yeah, and the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, when they saw what took place, they were filled with awe. They worshiped. Said, truly this was the Son of God. Think about this, this veil that he tore in that temple that was massive, 30 feet tall, this veil, 30 feet wide. And it was torn from top to bottom. By a man whose arms <laughs> stretched on the cross. Yeah, I think he did it himself from the cross because he's in control. And he's worthy of being in control of your life as well. And he's also worthy to clean out the stuff that you've allowed to build up in your temple courts that may really smell and may not. But guys, what Jesus did for us as the sustainer of the universe uh, is beyond, it's beyond reason. To access the Holy of Holies was not done by anyone except once a year by the high priest after a gazillion sacrifices. And only then did he hope that he was sacrificed enough. So they kept a rope tied to his leg in case his dingly bells on his coat stopped ringing. They're like, well, he's out. <laughs> and they pull him out. I mean, that was the deal. If he went in there unworthy, had not done what he was supposed to do, boom, you're, you're done. Access in the Holy of Holies is no big, is no small potato. That was a big, big deal. I mean, it's bigger than that that temple, bigger than that court complex, that temple complex. Um, I think it's easier to swim to the bottom of the deepest ocean 
than to gain access to the Holy of Holies on your terms and in your own strength. So, you know, the next time you start feeling plucky, you know, uh, just stop and go, mm, I couldn't tear a veil from top to bottom while I'm being crucified outside the city. Yeah. And give access to us Gentiles. Think about that. No longer are we, are we banished, <laughs> limited to the court. No, we get to go straight in to the place nobody ever dreamed they could go. Jesus did that on, on Monday. He was looking at Friday saying, mm-hmm, make a way for these Gentiles first, clear it out. Get this nasty out of here because I'm about to open a path straight in to the Holy of Holies. So I think that's about it. Um, I think that's about it. <laughs> Come on up here. Um, yeah, let me read Hebrews 10. Why not? Um, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful and powerful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't know. Here we all are. You may just need encouragement. Maybe you just want to pray. I don't know. We've usually got people that are at the back to pray. Uh, I mean, I'll pray up here with you. I mean, if I have to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Um, but seriously, um, you know, if you're, you know, I don't know. If nothing else, I mean, this morning, early, I was just like, Lord, I need you to show me what cattle pens are hanging out in my courtyard you know where's that stink that I'm walking past every day as if it's no big deal you know I don't know and I don't know if you've got stink in your courtyard um, but if nothing else allow the Lord to to work in you and to deal with you and if you just want someone to pray with you and just to say Lord Help me identify it. Then let's just do that. Let's just, or just pray with the people next to you for crying out loud and just say, yeah, God, help us to clear this court and make a path to the Holy of Holies. Yeah, because that's, that's what Jesus was doing on the last week. There's a lot that happened on the last week. And uh, every day is significant for sure. So let me pray for us, and then we'll worship, and we'll also come, come. 
please. I know, I know. It's like, when is he going to stop? <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's pray. And, uh, and we'll worship. And if you need prayer, got folks at the back. Um, I'll be up here. Mark, Jeremy, Ashley, Crystal, anybody. Lord, help us. Help us to identify, to see it, uh, to clear it, and just to worship you. God, show us where we have um, put barriers to the nations, keeping people from the gospel by the stuff that's in our court. <sighs> yeah. Thank you, Jesus, that from the cross you ripped that veil did everything you accomplished, all that could be accomplished that we could never accomplish. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen.